Hey there, church. We're so glad you've chosen to worship with us online today. Isn't it great to know that we can be together and not even be in the same room? So thanks ahead of time for checking in and letting us know that you're with us today. You can do that on the wonderful, easy-to-use Union Chapel app. Look, you know, you're sitting on the couch, your phone is in your hand. So use that thumb, go to your app store right now and download the app and install it. That way you can take notes, you can give and keep up to date on everything that's going on with this church. Thanks so much for doing that. But if that's not your speed, you will see a link appearing in the chat section of the video right now. Thanks for checking in with us. Our team has been working hard to give you opportunities to connect with others. And you can find out all the different ways that we have for adults and all kinds of different groups. You can go to unionchapel.com events. And of course, our Facebook and Instagram pages have that information as well. And so, hey, students, middle schoolers and high schoolers, no FOMO for you. Check out 180 Live on Instagram and Facebook for you parents who want to see what's going on. And of course, for fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, we have a page set aside just for you so that you have some great information and tools there as well. And of course, for kids at UC, that's K through third graders, you'll see links to all these different Facebook pages and all these different resources appearing. Don't miss out on these opportunities. Make the most of this time that we have together. I love being a part of a generous church. It's so good to know that we've been able to extend our giving to Blood and Fire. Did you know that they're giving out food Monday through Saturday at 4 p.m. every single day? And they're even offering groceries on Saturday. And of course, we're continuing the work with church planting and the other efforts that we have in Kazakhstan and Ecuador and all over the U.S. Thanks so much for your partnership in the gospel with this. And we also believe that God is doing great things. You can be a part of this. Just simply click the giving on your app and there's a link right below that will take you right to our giving page. And there's also a little video. If you've never done that before, we wanna help you feel comfortable taking care of that. Thanks so much for your generosity. Well, let's pray church. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for your amazing love. Thank you for how you've blessed us. In the midst of these crazy times, we pour out our hearts to you, God. We confess our sins, we confess our fear, and we receive the peace that can only come from you. Lord, every single person who hears the sound of my voice, fill them with the power of your spirit. Let your love and your courage fill our hearts. Let us be salt and light to the people around us. Let us express your love in practical ways and use us to share your great story, your amazing grace. We love you, Jesus. We praise you with all that we are. Open up our minds to the things that you wanna speak into us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, church. Enjoy the rest of this service.
Good morning, everyone. Um, welcome to Union Chapel this morning. So glad to have you online with us. Trust that you're doing okay. And we've certainly been praying for you, and I know you're praying for one another. And it's a great thing. Remember the two, the two big things. Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So I know you're finding practical ways to be careful with one another, to uh, live in community. And even in these times when we, when we feel this isolation, uh, there are opportunities for us to reach out and care for one another. And I hope that uh, you'll continue to be doing that. And uh, also, let me, just, let me just remind you that, that uh, there are all kinds of resources available to you online. And I hope you'll go to unionchapel.com and participate in those, all kinds of curriculum and, and resources that can be meaningful to you, your children, your small group, that sort of thing. We want to be here to help. Uh, remember, you can still call the office at 288-8383, and we're here to take your calls and provide assistance uh, as necessary. So thanks for keeping us in mind. Get regular updates from the church at unionchapel.com. I hope you'll keep tuning in. As you know, we've been in this series during this Lenten season to, to consider the passion of Christ. We've been studying Matthew's gospel and what a great opportunity it is for us when we have some extra time, downtime, uh, white space, if you will, that we can contemplate our faith, think about what's really important, reestablish our priorities. I trust that you're using this Lenten season for prayer and studying the scripture and, and really investing in careful ways with your family and people close to you. So... Um, we continue this series instead of me uh, this morning by considering the accusation that Jesus received accused for me. Our text is again from Matthew's gospel. Today we're going to read for you verses 57 to 67 from the 26th chapter and then the first 26 verses from chapter 27. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so I invite you to do that wherever you are as you're able. And let's honor God's word and again, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, and I'm going to begin at verse 57. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You've said so, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard that blasphemy. What do you think? He's worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face, struck him with their fists. Others slapped him said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? Now over to chapter 27. 
Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse, returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. And that's why it's been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah, the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the prophet, by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Now Jesus is before Pilate, verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You've said so, Jesus replied. And when he was accused by the chief priest and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Peter was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. I'm sorry, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who's called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water, washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. And all the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. May God inspire and enlighten us today through his word. Thanks so much. You may be seated. Well, the driving idea behind this entire series are the events surrounding the trial of Jesus recorded to show us that actually Jesus isn't the one who's on trial. It's all of us who are on trial. The scrutiny of God falls upon us as we consider the perfect sacrifice made by Jesus Christ on our behalf. We've tried to identify with these persons, these players in this drama, this amazing story, the most important story in all of history. Two weeks ago, we talked about Judas. We all identify with Judas. He was uh, the guy who saw Jesus as simply a means to an end, um, willing to sell him out for a price as all of us are willing to sell out Jesus for a price. Last week, we considered the life of Peter. 
uh, he convinced himself that he was one of the good guys and he wasn't so bad, so bad that Jesus actually had to die for his sins. Peter, like many of us, tended to believe that if he had good intentions and made a good effort, that somehow he could make his own salvation possible. But what we discover is that Jesus had to go to the cross and that the cross is actually the power of God to liberate us from our sins. And so today what we want to do is consider this trial, which we've just read about in Matthew's account. And we want to see it in such a way, first of all, to discover that the whole trial was a sham. I mean, it was just a, it was just a misappropriated uh, practice and exercise. And let me just point out some of those things for a moment. First of all, the timing of this trial was unjust. Uh, Jewish trials, especially trials that would suggest that the condemned or the accused would be executed, this was to be done in the light of day. And of course, this was the middle of the night. Uh, this should tell you something uh, about the intentions and the motives. Also, these major trials uh, among the Jews were not to be conducted during the, the feast periods. And of course, this was the middle of the Passover, the biggest feast of the year. And so they are they're violating all kinds of rules that way. We also know due process was unjust in this case. We have the Sanhedrin, who are the highest officials in the Jewish culture. They serve as the Supreme Court, if you will, in such matters, especially with capital offense. And so the, 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 the men who sit in judgment, the, the judges of this court, are also the ones bringing the accusation to Jesus. I mean, due process is completely missing in this case. Also, their witness process was unjust. I mean, they're trying to recruit anybody and everybody who wants to say a bad thing about Jesus, and it's hard for them to drudge up some witnesses. And when he, they do get witnesses, they're contradicting each other. Finally, one guy says, look, he said, if you tear down the temple, he can rebuild it in three days. Ah, there's blasphemy. And so the whole witness process was completely upside down, not to mention that Jesus is never given an opportunity to really present a defense. Um, he, 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 he hasn't given opportunity to bring his own witnesses. It kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Um, and, and so here, here is the use of witnesses as unjust. Another point is, is, um, is, is that um, the conviction process was completely unjust as well. Sanhedrin, their tradition, the rule, the protocol, suggested that the youngest among them vote first and then the older after them, one at a time. This was designed so the, the older couldn't influence the younger in such an important judgment. Uh, so the conviction process was completely mishandled. Uh, the sentencing was also unjust. Anytime someone was, someone was accused that could lead to their execution required at least three days uh, of waiting period between when the witnesses were gathered and the, and the, and the process was engaged. Three days were designed for any exculpatory evidence that could come in that could exonerate the accused. And of course, this was all done very quickly in a matter of hours in the night. Finally, the final sentence of execution was unjust. Uh, Pilate's final consent being the important last piece. Um, Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. I mean, he said it two different times. This guy's innocent. But 
He was unwilling to act on what he knew to be true. Verse 24 of Matthew 27, our text says that in order to avoid a riot, Pilate consented. So the bottom line is the whole trial process was unjust. Two reasons why we we get this context, this perspective of the unjustness of the trial. One is to make clear that in no uncertain terms, Jesus is not being accused and punished for sins that he's committed. In fact, just the opposite is true. We get this sensation that he's not really the one on trial. Everyone else is on trial. You are on trial. I was on trial. The whole human race was on trial. And the second reason that I think that, that this whole mockery of a, of a trial is, is contained in the, in, the, in the gospel document is because, is because God wants to know that he identifies with us if we've ever been treated unjustly overlooked, abused, mistreated. Uh, He knows what that is like and he can identify with us as we've experienced some of those disappointments. Well, all of that then to bring us back to this notion that the account that Matthew gives us of the last hours of Jesus' life leading up to the resurrection are opportunities for us to identify and to assess our own spiritual life. Again, we've studied Judas, we've studied Peter in this series, and today I want to just offer to you four kinds of people that are exposed around the trial of Jesus. Four kinds of people exposed. They're on your outline, I hope on your app that you're going through the outline. Here's the first one. The first type of people that are exposed are the threatened. The threatened. Now, of course, I'm referring to the Sanhedrin. Um, They hated Jesus because they were envious of his uh, popularity and his authority. They wanted that power. They wanted that control. And they resented Jesus for being so popular, so many people following him. And, and so they plotted against him. Uh, Jesus, Jesus was always pointing his finger at the Sanhedrin. <laughs> they thought they were the good guy guys. They were above scrutiny. They were, they, they were the ideal. Jesus said, no, no, the Sanhedrin is just like everyone else just like a common criminal, just like a common sinner. They need forgiveness from God, just like everyone else. And it drove them crazy. They're in this position of pride and they didn't like being scrutinized in this way. And so they plotted to kill him. They plotted to kill him. What we we learn in contrast to these men who were exposed around the trial of Jesus is really there's only two postures that we can assume in in relationship to Jesus. Uh, Either you're surrendered to him or you're in rebellion to him. Either you're on your knees worshiping him or you're part of a a crowd of people raising your fists, crying out, crucify him. Only two, two groups, sold out to Jesus or resistant to him. Pilate knows Jesus is innocent. As I mentioned, he he says it twice. This guy's innocent. Why do you want him killed? He hasn't done anything wrong. And, and honestly, uh, is there anything that compares in importance to what Pilate is doing here? He's actually acknowledging that this is an innocent man, and yet he's prepared to sentence him to death. It, it just emphasizes and reemphasizes to us the importance of the decisions we make about Jesus. I mean, they're very important decisions. He His life, his mission, his work presents to us a challenge to get perspective on what he has done 
and how we should respond to that. Have you ever had something happen to you and you think it was really bad? And then another thing happens to you and it's worse and the original thing isn't so bad anymore? Uh, Last summer I was working on something around the house and I was trying to fix it so I didn't have to call a repair person and pay them to fix it. And I was really trying hard to fix it and something happened and I boogered up one of my fingers and you know, just bloody everywhere. And it was just, you know, I just disappointed, did, couldn't get it fixed. And I just thought this is just the worst thing ever. <laughs> and so I went to bed that night. I got up in the middle of the night to use the restroom and I'm heading back to bed and I'm not paying close enough attention. And I'm walking, I'm walking at a normal pace. I'm not going slow. I'm, I'm walking nor- a normal pace to get back to the bed and I walked straight into the, to the leg of a desk chair. I hit the middle toe of my right foot square into the, the pointed edge of an immovable object. I rehearsed my options. I can cry. I mean, no one's around but my wife, I, so I could cry because I wanted to, it was excruciating. I mean, I blasted my toe. And, and I decided, well, I can either cry and fuss about this, get some ice, uh, try, try to reduce the pain, suffering, or I can just go back to bed, <laughs> worry about it tomorrow. The only thing I did was flip on the light because I wanted to know that my toe was basically in the right direction on my foot. And that it wasn't bleeding everywhere so that, you know, I w- would mess up the bed. And it was pointed in the right direction and it wasn't bleeding. And so I just went back to bed. I took a picture of the toe the next day. I actually have, a, have that picture, but I, and I was going to show you, but I've decided not to show you because it's, it's really, it's too gruesome. It was a completely the wrong color. It was slightly disjointed. I, I, I broke my toe. <laughs> And it was, it was really, so I, I just limped around for a while until it stopped hurting because that's what you do with little, little piggy toes that you break. There's not much you can do for it. And, and, and so we have to get perspective on these things. You know, sometimes life hits you hard, just like this virus has hit us all. And, and we, have to, we have to keep things in perspective best we can. I mean, some, some of you have lost your jobs and 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 other people are suffering in other ways, even getting sick and ill. And, and, so, and so we think this is horrible, but, but there's, always, there's always other things that can happen to us. You know, sometimes our marriage collapses. That's horrible. Sometimes we get a really negative report from the doctor, a diagnosis that's really dire. And it's just awful. It's just crushing. It's, just, it's so difficult to deal with. So we have to keep perspective on all of these things. But here's a guarantee I want to make to you. And I, and I want to call you friends. I guarantee you that a hundred years from now, listen to your pastor, the only thing that will seem significant is where you stand in relation to Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that will matter. It's the only thing that will matter. And there are people who are distracted. People who are distracted people who are threatened by this disappointment or that crisis or that moment. And it keeps us 
because we feel threatened or we feel distracted, it keeps us from meaningfully engaging in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And again, I promise you, 100 years from now, the only thing that will matter is your relationship with him. So you've heard me talk about this second point, and that is people who are distracted. And it's so easy for us to do this. Pilate is the guy who represents that person who knows the truth about Jesus, but is just too distracted with other things to take the question seriously, to, take, to really weigh this carefully. Um, this happens to people all the time. People say things, well, this is something, you know, this relationship with Jesus this is something that I'll think about when I get older. Uh, or they tell themselves, you know, when I become an adult, you know, that's kind of an adult subject. So I'll think about knowing Jesus then. Or when my career gets on a more stable footing, you know, I'm kind of spending my time now building my career. Or after we have kids, you know, get married and have kids. Then we'll get serious about religion, that sort of thing. But right now we're having a good time. We're having fun with our friends, you know, or building our career. Uh, there's just so, so many things consuming my life right now. And I'll think about Jesus at some other time. But don't you see? Can, you do see the foolishness of that, right? How foolish that is. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You could die today. You know, that's not preacher talk. That's a fact. It's a dangerous world out there. And, and, and it's, inherent, it's inherently unsafe. So why would you gamble with your eternal soul? I wonder how many people I'm actually speaking to today, online, here, and around the world. Who knows who's tuning in? I wonder how many people I'm speaking to today, and you fit into this category. You're distracted from the most important thing in life a meaningful connection with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Listen to Charles Spurgeon. He's a great Christian leader from another generation. Listen to his warning. I'll put this on the screen for you. He said, trifle not with Christ, whose hands and feet were nailed to the accursed tree for sinners such as you. Trifle not with his precious blood, for that is your only hope of redemption. Trifle not with the Holy Spirit, for if he should leave you to perish, your case would be hopeless Trifle not with the gospel. What, should, what would the lost in hell not give to hear another proclamation of mercy? The devil does not trifle. He is, not, he is very earnestly seeking your destruction. God and Christ and the Holy Spirit are not trifling with you, and I am not trifling with you either. One more statement on the screen. Look at this. It was not unbelief that sent Pilate to hell. It was indifference. It was indifference. He's just distracted, distracted with other things. He had no idea who was in front of him. He knew this was an innocent man, but he wasn't careful enough. He wasn't attentive enough. He wasn't in tune enough. I mean, his wife says, don't, don't trifle with this guy because I've suffered in dreams, nightmares over this guy. Something's going on here, husband Pilate. But Pilate disregarded all of that, washes his hands as if he has no responsibility. No, no, it's indifference. It keeps so many from taking the steps they need to say yes to Jesus. Well, there's a third kind of person that's exposed during the trial, and that's the guilty, the guilty. Now, this is found in the character of Barabbas. He may be, for us, the clearest picture in all of the Gospels about what this whole thing is about. Now, think about Barabbas for a moment. He's a bad man. He's a thief. He's a murderer. He's a domestic terrorist. He's hated by Jews and Romans alike. Just a bad guy. 
And that afternoon, by the choice of the crowd, Jesus died and this Barabbas walks free. What's going on here? Now think for a moment what it must have been like for Barabbas. He wakes up that morning believing surely that he is going to be dead by nightfall. But instead, he's having dinner. He's sitting down having dinner with some of his friends that night. And this strange guy, we've heard strange stories about this Jesus who embodied perfect goodness is hanging on a cross in your place. Now we know three men were scheduled to die that day. Three sentences to be executed that day. These three thieves, including Barabbas. Barabbas is going to be in the middle of these other two thieves. And yet, here, what happens instead is that the middle guy, Barabbas, is pulled out of the lineup and Jesus is put in the lineup of three men dying on a cross. It's interesting, isn't it? And perhaps Barabbas was watching it happen. He's the first guy who could actually literally say, Jesus died, not just for me, but instead of me, instead of me. That was supposed to be me. See, he's dying instead of me. Can I get you to do something right now? Everyone say out loud with me, instead of me. Go ahead, instead of me, instead of me. That place of crucifixion on that hillside that day that was your spot. That was my spot. But Jesus died instead of me. Think about that. It's interesting that scholars point out that the meaning of Barabbas' name, follow this now, it's an odd name because it's very generic. Bar in the Aramaic means son of, and Abbas means father. So follow this. Barabbas means son of a man. Son of a man. In other words, Barabbas is supposed to represent every man, any man. It's just a common, common name, which also helps us understand why Jesus remains silent through this whole trial. We note that he's silent. Why did Jesus refuse to answer the charges brought against him? This is a great question. Any judge will tell you that when you remain absolutely silent in the face of accusation, you make no, no defense, that you're actually conceding guilt. I mean, that's just axiomatic, isn't it? It's just common sense. That's the way it works. But because Jesus perceived that he was willingly taking our sins and our guilt and our shame on our behalf, he pleaded guilty in my place instead of me, instead of me. Wow. Perhaps the most curious part to me about Barabbas's story is that we never find out how he responds. We don't know anything more about his story. We don't know if he, he ever came to faith. We don't know if he ever just said, thank you, Jesus, for dying instead of me, for giving your life for me. We don't, we don't know. So his life, as it, as, it, as it were, ends in a question. What did he do? But it begs the question for us, doesn't it? If he represents us, this Barabbas, we ask the question, what did he do? It begs the question of us, what will we do? What will we do? How will we respond to this amazing grace? Will we fall on our knees and worship him in thanksgiving or just pass on casually, ignoring the one who died in our place? Well, let me just mention this fourth 
group of people who were exposed around the trial. And that's the people who were despairing. People despairing. Now we go back to Judas. It's interesting here, right in the middle of this trial sequence, we find the conclusion of Judas's reaction to his betrayal and his death at his own hands. Maybe it's uh, to remind us that every person who rejects Jesus is essentially doing the same things to themselves, ending their own lives, ending their own hope. We either choose Jesus' offers of life or we choose self-destruction in one form or another. We either say yes to Jesus and the life and hope he offers or we take another path that ends badly. Let me just say about Judas's life, the way it ended is an unnecessary tragedy. It's just not right. It's not good, but you can understand what happened. He's filled with remorse. He realizes that what he's, what he's done is a horrible, horrible sin, probably unforgivable in his mind. And he returns the, the 30 pieces of silver. This is blood money. This is guilt money. He, and, and, and so he throws this money on the temple floor and, and, it's, and it's used, you know, in, in a way that honors what, the prophets. And, and so now Judas, filled with hopelessness, filled with despair, still not understanding who Jesus is, still not comprehending or allowing himself to comprehend that the cross is meant for him, for his life, for his hope. But in the context of a, of a despairs, he, he, he gives up his life. He takes his own life. It's an amazing story. What he didn't realize is that as bad as his sin was, as harsh was his betrayal, that this is why Jesus gave himself on the cross for ruined lives like his, ruined lives like ours. Not just good and bad people, but people who are in rebellion to God and ruined as a result of that corrupted by our own rebellion and sin, filled with remorse and despair and hopelessness, he takes his own life. And indeed, this happens to people every day, doesn't it? Maybe not all the way to suicide, but certainly in patterns of destruction and despair. Perhaps some of you are in the same place today. You thought about this? Are you unbelieving because of despair? Do you feel like You've just made so many mistakes, so many bad decisions that life is really over for you. Think about, think about Judas. What if he had waited? What if he had waited just a couple of days? What if he had waited just three days? And, and even in despair, stumbling through life, no hope. What if he'd have run into Peter? Oh, my life is over. I betrayed the Lord. Peter would say to him, no, no, I betrayed him too. I denied, I even knew him, but we've seen him. He's alive. He's alive and he's willing to forgive. He for, he's forgiven me and he'll forgive you. Now suddenly hope would have been restored and Judas could have been restored just like you can be restored from whatever despair caused by the choices and conditions and circumstances of your life. You too can find the hope that Jesus alone provides as you seek forgiveness, grace, and restoration from him. You can do it. He has the power to change your life. So believe in the gospel 
believing the gospel, it's coming to realize that you, that while you have failed, you've made mistakes, Jesus is more loving and accepting and forgiving than you've ever dreamed of. And he's willing to love and accept you. Just love that part of the story. And so friends, we come to this moment now where we too have to make a choice. Make a choice about what to do with our relationship with Jesus Christ. This entire series and in fact, this entire time, this entire season has given us time to think, hasn't it? Time, time away from the routines, time away from the distractions, time away from all these bad intentions and an opportunity for us to think about and pray about and consider the most important things. And I want you to pause just for a moment with me so we conclude this morning and pray with me and just consider your relationship with God, the condition of your spiritual life and make the necessary adjustments if you can. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Just be in an attitude and spirit of prayer. Listen, I believe it's no accident that you're tuning in today, part of our worship service. Let me just remind you that in Jesus Christ, we have found one who can give us the special kind of hope that all of us need, the kind of hope that can put our lives back together, even the most broken lives, provide a ray of light into the deepest darkness. That's what he can do. I love the words from this old hymn. Dark is the stain that I cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you can be today. Now listen to the chorus. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that can pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace. God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. Maybe you've never understood what Christ has done and you're ready today to receive him. Say, Pastor Greg, what do I need to do? You need to recognize what he has done on your behalf. Set aside all the darkness and the hopelessness and despair and see the light and the hope and the forgiveness that Jesus offers. I want to pray with you right now because maybe you see yourself in one of these characters. Maybe you feel threatened like the Sanhedrin. Maybe you feel distracted like Pilate. Maybe you feel guilty like Barabbas or just despairing like Judas. But now you see who Jesus is and you're ready to surrender. Pray this prayer out loud after me. Out loud, wherever you are, with whomever you're with. If you're, if you're bold enough, sincere enough, just pray out loud after me. Dear gracious God, thank you for dying for my sins. I often feel threatened, distracted, guilty, despairing, but I believe that Jesus Christ has brought life and hope to me. Forgive me of my sins into my life. I receive you, Lord Jesus. I want to live for you, know you, and serve you. Thank you for all you've done for me. I give my life to you. 
In Jesus' name, amen.
just before the blessing, let me just remind you to be at peace. Uh, don't panic. Don't be afraid. God is with you. He, he is caring for you and he's got us all in the palm of his hand. And God is going to redeem all of these days where we've uh, been disrupted and you'll see it. We'll look back on these days and we'll celebrate God's faithfulness. So be encouraged, be hopeful, be at peace. Here's the blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his countenance come upon you, be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his presence, the glory of his presence upon you. 
so that you might know his peace. Today, the days to come forevermore peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Take care.